Uh, I think I always say good morning, and sometimes I don't really mean it. I'll be honest. This morning, I mean it. It's a good morning. Beautiful sunshine. Kevin accused me of somebody putting some fresh batteries in me or something like that. I'm just I'm feeling good this morning. Good worship, so good morning, and I mean it this time. Apparently, you guys don't feel the same way, but that's all right. That's cool. I'll be happy by myself up here. Uh, we're going to start with a little story this morning, a story about a man who was 99 years old. This man was 99 years old, and God appeared to him. Now, how God appeared to him, I don't know, but he saw God, and it's the same word in other sections of the Bible that says, if we see God, we'll die, but somehow God appeared to this man who was 99 years old. So it was not the first time that God had appeared to this man. God had appeared to him at other times. And he'd made promises to this 99-year-old man. Said he would be father to a great nation. Said his name would be great. He told this man that his name would be blessed. He told this man his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And he also told him that his people would go through a time of darkness, of oppression, of slavery. Regardless of what he told him in the past, God appeared to this man again, 99 years old, and he spoke, and he said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, be pure. I'm going to establish a covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you. And this man fell on his face and worshiped God. And God said, again, my covenant is with you, and I'm going to change your name. It's not Abram anymore, it's Abraham. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan. Kings will come from you. I will make nations of you. You will be exceedingly fruitful, and I will be the God of you and your descendants. Wow, cool. Then he says, this is my covenant. Now, as for you... And this 99-year-old man, Abraham, now as for me, oh, I haven't heard this before. As for me, okay, yes, God, what? You've said a lot of things, promises to me, but you're asking something of me. As for you, you shall keep this covenant by, Abraham, yes, circumcising every male eight days old. Okay. All right, circumcising every male eight days old, and servants who are born in your house, and servants who are bought as well, and even more, any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people, because he has broken my covenant I'm making with you. Now, I read this, and I wonder Abraham's reaction. This is God, as for you, yes, God, circumcise every male. Okay, so he had a few possible reactions. We know this was not the first time that any culture had practiced circumcision. Other cultures were doing it, most of them to indicate puberty to adulthood, some of them as a religious rite. So maybe Abraham thought, oh, this is cool. We get to do this thing now, too. Other cultures do this. This is great, great. Or maybe he thought, man, I always thought like 13 was kind of old to do it, eight days old. I like that. That's a great idea, God. Okay, that makes sense. This is good. Or maybe he thought, what? God, really? Are you sure? This is, this is like the, the first thing you've got to tell me. This is the one. 
circumcise every male, including myself. I happen to be 99 years old. Not sure uh, I'm down with this. But Abraham maybe didn't give any reaction because God went on and maybe Abraham got distracted because God said, oh, I have some other things. Your wife should change her name. Kings will come from her. And she's going to have a child. And Abraham laughed. He laughed. <laughs> okay. All right, God, that's, that's kind of ridiculous. Now, I may have said that earlier in the circumcision part. Abraham said it. No, your wife's going to have a kid. Okay, God, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. No, no, no. No, Abraham, it's not a joke. And then the next thing, Abraham circumcises himself, circumcises his 13-year-old son, and circumcises all of his slaves. And so, the tradition of circumcision is born. Now, some of you are staring at me with weird faces. I thought we were in Philippians. Why are we talking about the story of circumcision? Well, we'll get there. Before we do, though, I just have some questions. God, really. Of all the things. This is the first command specific to the Jewish people. Circumcision? Really? Is that? That's the one? That's what you asked your people to do as a sign of the covenant. I mean, for one, it seems like only males can participate in this. I think that's pretty obvious. Um, secondly, it just seems kind of weird, kind of painful. Thirdly, I mean, if it's a sign, no one's really going to see the sign even. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a private thing, right? So the more I thought about it, I thought, okay, it's male only, right, it's patriarchal society, kind of makes sense, it's weird and painful. Yeah, sometimes covenants are weird and painful. And no one sees it, well, yeah, that's probably because it's between you and God, not meant to show off to everybody. Okay, yeah. And then I start reading some more verses on circumcision, starts to come in a little more. Deuteronomy 10.16, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Oh, okay. Deuteronomy 30, verses 6, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Jeremiah 4.4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskins of your heart, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jeremiah 9.25, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, that I will punish all who are circumcised and yet uncircumcised. Oh, what? Egypt and Judah and Edom and the sons of Ammon and Moab and all those inhabiting the desert who clip the hair on their templets. For all the nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised of heart. Oh, okay. So maybe this thing isn't necessarily just purely this ritual of circumcision. Maybe there's something much deeper beyond this. A symbol of a circumcision of the heart. Purity of the heart. A pure people that God will use to bless the world. So this would be a pretty sacred ritual then, right? I mean, this is indicating a purity of the heart. And to the Jews, this became incredibly sacred. In fact, so much that some went as far as to say, no matter how observant a Jew was of all the law, 
If the Jew was not circumcised, there was no place in the world to come. That's, that's a big statement. That's a big ritual. This purity was very important. And we would all say, I think, I would hope, purity is still important to us today. Right? We value this purity, this cleansing, this heart's white as snow, this purity. And so we come today to Philippians chapter 3. Verse 2, Paul begins like this, beware of the dogs, beware of the dogs. The word beware is blepo, everybody say it, blepo, it's kind of fun to say, blepo. So the only time Paul uses this word beware in this context, so I'm saying, okay, I might want to pay attention, it means be on the constant lookout, be ever watchful. So this beware is always be on guard. Be watching. For what? The dogs. Now some of you, when we say the word dogs, are going to think of something like this. Yeah, listen. Oh, so cute. Maybe something like this. That's the ugliest dog award. I don't think that's the context really of dogs. I wouldn't really beware of either of those, honestly. Maybe this third image here, the dogs. I love these commentaries on the dogs. These are just great. The herds of dogs which prowl about eastern cities without a home and without an owner, feeding on the refuse and filth of the streets, quarreling among themselves and attacking the passerby. Okay, the dogs, yeah. The dogs here were the mangy, Flea-bitten, vicious, starved scavengers of the Oriental streets. Okay, so maybe a little better picture here of the dogs. Be on the constant lookout for the dogs. There's another thing about the dogs, right? The Jews viewed the Gentiles as what? Impure. The Jews valued this purity. The Gentiles were impure, and so they called them dogs. So right off the bat... Paul is saying, hey, beware of the dogs. Now he calls them a couple other things. Evil workers. Evil workers. I mean, so these people aren't only evil, they're evil workers. They're working to produce evil. This is not just a passive evil, this is an active working of evil, Paul describes them as. And then as the third thing, beware of the false circumcision. Oh, circumcision. Okay, here we go. Now, beware of the false circumcision. If you have the NIV, it says, beware of the mutilators of the flesh. It's a great translation. Good horror movie. Beware of the false circumcision. Beware of the mutilators of the flesh. Now, the pagan priests of the day would do things to mutilate their flesh in an effort to please God, and Paul's kind of harking back to that. Beware of the mutilators of the flesh. The false circumcision. And so, the false circumcision... Now, how does that work? Because this whole thing, we, we talked about circumcision indicating purity, and yet Paul is saying, no, there's this false circumcision. This thing that really, they're in an effort to be pure, actually makes them impure, and you need to beware of these people. This circumcision is supposed to represent purity, and in fact, it's making people impure. So now, my question is, are there these dogs today? Because if there's not, 
you know, I mean, we could learn some good things about history and leave here feeling good, but I want to know if there's dogs today. Probably not about circumcision, right? But maybe about some other things that we regard as purity. So let's look a little more. What else do we know about these dogs? Because we do know some other things. In the early days of Christianity, most people converted to Christianity out of Judaism. And when they converted, they continued all the Judaic practices. They had traditions. They had laws. They had rules that they were raised with. And when they became Christian, it didn't mean, oh, you throw away all those rules. It just meant, oh, yeah, kind of bring these in. Belief in Jesus, they believed, didn't replace that. It kind of enhanced it. In fact, some went so far to say Christianity was the truest form of Judaism. Now, we all have things we are raised with today, right? Some traditions, some rules, some customs, some laws. I mean, don't drink, do drink. You know, some of you are raised, don't drink. Some of you are raised, hey, let's do this thing. 21, beer and theology. Come on, let's do it together. Some of you don't dance. Some of us, let's have a dance night at New Community. In my house, my parents are right here. One of our traditions and rules was do not get your ear pierced. In fact, me and my brother heard this formula. Earring on the counter in the morning equals you get to stay in the house. No one got that. In other words, I got my ear pierced and my dad said, you can have that earring on the counter or you can leave. Okay, tradition, rules. Some of you want to get your whole face pierced. I mean, we want piercings everywhere. That's what you're raised. Express your freedom. Don't get a tattoo. I was on Facebook not long ago and I said I might get a tattoo and I got some responses of, you better not get a tattoo. Here's why. Others of you, yes, get tattoos The more of them, the better, and make them Christian. (laughs) So we're all raised with these traditions, these cultures, right? And it's, it's fine, it's good, but this subtle shift starts to happen sometimes. Yeah, I was raised with these things. They're good traditions, laws, into, um, these are pretty important. And in fact... I'm not sure you're going to have purity, cleanliness, salvation maybe, I don't know, unless you kind of do these traditions and customs and move them over here. Now, tattoos, earrings, dancing, drinking, most of us in this room would probably say, okay, not that big a deal. I'm not going to say it's a purity, salvation issue, but there's some other things, right? And so when we have these other things, we usually hold councils to decide on these things. And there was a council in AD 50 on circumcision. Because they got together and said, hey, I don't know, I mean, there's people saying you can't be a Christian, you can't have salvation unless you're circumcised. So we better get together and talk about this. If you want to read Acts 15, you can read about the council. Peter gives this great speech in Acts 15 about placing a yoke around the neck of these people. It's an awesome speech. And so at the end of this council, they decide, okay, yeah, Circumcision, we're okay with that. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved, but you do have to do some other things. In Acts 15, 28, I just love this verse. It's so good. This is what they said. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. This is kind of after the council. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and from things strangled 
and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> I just love that. Here's the essentials we came down to. Food sacrificed to idols, blood, strangled, fornication. Hey, do these things, you're going to do well. All right, so this was the council, but things kind of kept going, and these dogs were still around. In fact, if you read Galatians, basically the entire letter is about these dogs, the Judaizers, they're called. They had already infiltrated the church in Galatia, and Paul writes this whole book about them, basically. And he mentions them in Colossians, in Corinthians, and here we are in Philippians today. These dogs are powerful. They're everywhere. This council didn't solve the problem. And so again, are there dogs today? Well, again, probably not around circumcision. But we've got other things that make us pure or salvation. You know, I was raised to think this is pretty important. In fact, this is more than important. This is this is very essential and you need to be doing these things, young man or young woman or fellow peer. I mean, I this is, this is important stuff here. Are you doing this? Well, Paul has some things to say. So here we are, verse 3. For we are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Okay, so he talked about the false circumcision. We are the true circumcision. So there's obviously a false circumcision and a true circumcision which may be one of those times when we get this idea of, ah, maybe we weren't really getting the point here. Remember all those verses in Deuteronomy? Because God did say you need to be circumcised. I mean, that wasn't like somebody just made it up. This was out of the Bible. This was a law. And maybe Paul is saying, well, listen, guys, maybe we didn't really get the point here. This wasn't a ritual. This was about a circumcision of our heart. This was about removing the blemish inside of us and creating a pure people. Maybe that's more of the point of this. And when we worship in spirit, we're getting there. When we give glory to Christ Jesus and glory in Him, we're getting to the true circumcision. And when we take no confidence in the flesh. Now, you know, we say this, I said it, you're all, yeah, no confidence in the flesh. Just think about that for a second. No confidence in the flesh to be pure. None. Your traditions, the laws, you know, lived a pretty good life, I lived a pretty clean life, I'm pretty good. Yeah, no confidence in that. None. Well, Paul, I mean, no confidence in, in what I do? I mean, I do some pretty good things. I've, I've done some good things. And in fact, you know, if I start getting here too far, Paul, I mean, you know, I read the story of the sheep and the goats, and Jesus says, yeah, do some things. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry. I mean, you gotta, I want you to do some things. And later, Jesus talks about only those who do the will of my Father. You've got to do the will of my Father are going to get into heaven. I mean, there's some stuff we've got to do here. I've got to do some things, Paul. Paul says, all right, let's, let's talk about flesh for a little bit. Let's talk about it, because I'll give you my, my take on it here. Verse 4. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, Paul says. Because if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, 
I far more. I was circumcised the eighth day. I'm of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal or passion, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So, you want to talk flesh, guys? You want to talk about confidence in the flesh? Okay, let's go through it. Circumcised. Yes. I was circumcised on the eighth day, mind you. The eighth day like we're supposed to do it. Now, many of you are becoming circumcised now, later in life. No, I was on the eighth day. Check. Okay, what's the next one? Nation of Israel. Oh, yeah, check. In fact, tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was one of the few tribes that remained loyal to David throughout. I mean, tribe of Benjamin was one of the top tribes. So you want to talk Israel? Tribe of Benjamin. Check. Hebrew. Check. Raised by Hebrew parents. In fact, I still read the Torah in Hebrew. You guys, you're reading it in Greek. I mean, you want to talk about I'm Hebrew of Hebrews here, okay? I'm the true people. Check. The law. Check. A Pharisee. Now, we view this as a negative term, but Pharisees knew the law. They knew it inside and out. So you want to talk about the law? Check. I've got it. Want to talk about zeal? Passion? If you didn't know the law, I'm coming at you. If you didn't know the law and practice the law, I persecuted those people. I mean, I was passionate. I have had zeal. And finally, you want to talk about righteousness in the law, I have been found blameless. That's a big word, blameless. I mean, I have done it all right, everything. I've done it all. And let's throw in, I was raised in the best schools, I studied under the best rabbis, I know Greek culture, I know Hebrew. I mean, what do you want to throw in? Modern days... Raised in the church, never been to an R-rated movie, never kissed a girl. I know my theology inside and out, and I will take any of you down on theology. And in fact, if you don't know your theology, and if you're not doing it right, I will let you know, and I will yell at you in the face. And I have done it all right, everything. So if you want to have confidence in the flesh, any of you, name it, come up with something. I, you know, hey, I did this. Yeah, Paul says, yeah, I did too. Big deal. Okay, I've done it. You have confidence in the flesh? I have done it. Then Paul goes on, verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So let me paraphrase. All that stuff, the right schools, circumcised, Hebrew, blameless under the law, the right parents, the right nationality, the right, the right, the right, calling out people who aren't fulfilling the law, all the things we're supposed to do, you know what they equal? Crap. 
Now, I'm sorry if crap is a bad word to you, but honestly, this word is probably worse than crap in the Greek. And I think Paul uses it for good reason. I think he wants to make a statement here. Yeah, all this stuff, right? Yeah, I've done it all. It's rubbish. It's filth. It's dung. It's crap. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That stuff, psh, I don't care. And I love this. It's crap so that I might gain Christ. Gain Christ, Paul. I mean, you've got him, right? You know, we, we got gain Christ. You, you said the prayer, you've got Christ. We're good to go now. No. This gain word is the parable of the talents. He had five talents and gained more. No, Paul says, no, I want to gain more and more and more of Christ. In fact, all this other stuff doesn't matter. That's all I want, to gain more and more and more of Jesus. Everything else is rubbish. It's junk. I don't care. Well, Paul, I mean, how about gaining some religion? No, I, I did that. I already did it. How about gaining some theology? Did it. How about gaining some nice pats on the backs from people you respect? Did it. How about gaining, calling out people who aren't living right? Did it. How about gaining doing it all right? I mean, do, living the right, perfect life. Did it. Ryan, I just want to gain Christ. I just want to gain more and more of Him. Because when I do, you know what happens? There's this movement. And this series has been called Movement. Ryan, when I focus on gaining Christ and forgetting all this other stuff, I'm found in Him. I start to know the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings. I die with Him. I die to myself. And then I resurrect in new life that He offers. And none of this other stuff compares. It's junk. And it's interesting when you look back at the story of the sheep and the goats. Jesus says, You fed me when I was hungry. You clothed me when I was naked. You visited me when I was in jail. And the people don't respond... Yes, we did, Jesus. You're right. Thank you for noticing. They say we did? When? When did we do that? When you did these things for the least of these, when these things flowed out from you. And in fact, the people who say in the next passage, Lord, 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 hey, we, uh, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. Jesus, we did miracles in your name. I mean, right? Well, that whole section is under fruit. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, Jesus, I, I did these things here pretty good. Yeah. You did them. Not the reasons I want you to. Depart from me. I never knew you. Paul got it. I mean, he got it. It's Jesus it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. I feel like a broken record going through Philippians. Is Jesus preached? Yeah, I don't care about all the motives. Is Jesus preached? I'll rejoice. Jesus, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through hard stuff. Why? Because I want Jesus preached. I want this gospel message spread. This is incredibly good news of Jesus. And I am going to put up with, with, with whatever I have to to see this message spread. Jesus, 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 24-7. All the time. And this is why I think Paul talks about these dogs. I mean, 
Paul wants Jesus preached, and these dogs, frankly, distract from Jesus. Because if they don't, I don't know that Paul would care that much, because all Paul cares about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And these dogs are distracting. Well, why, Paul? Why, why are they distracting? Because they're saying you've got to do these things over here. You've got to be circumcised, completely missing the point. You've got to do these traditions and these laws instead of seeing Jesus Let me die with you. Let me know your suffering. And let me attain to a resurrected life in which this stuff is not going to happen because I am in new life with you. See, these dogs, I say, create goats. Yeah, dogs create goats. That's what you learned in church today. These dogs... Oh, I gotta do this stuff, gotta do this stuff, doing this stuff, doing this stuff. And Jesus says, I want this stuff to flow from you. I want this to flow out of you because you know me and you are gaining me. And we are dying together and we are suffering and we are being resurrected to new life. So when we become concerned with all the stuff, I think we get distracted from the point of knowing Jesus. And letting Jesus come in and purify our hearts. And out of the heart comes what? We know. This stuff flow from your heart. Beware the dogs. And there's one more thing. Beware the dogs, right? We hear it. Yeah, we got to beware of those dogs out there. Which is true. But that assumes none of us are the dogs. In here. Assumes I'm not a dog. So I had to ask myself, am I a dog? What am I putting on people? What am I burdening them with? What am I throwing at them besides Jesus? You know, I, I could sit up here and I can talk about a lot of sins. We can go through them, you know. Fornication, abortion, homosexuality, pornography. Lying, not obeying your parents, idolatry, greed, silly talk, coarse jesting. We can go through all the Ten Commandments we just did again. Call out some sins, keep going down the list. There's a place for that, for sure. But what sometimes I get worried is, call out all these sins, and we don't call out the sin of being a dog. Because frankly... All these little sins over here, some big ones. You know, if I call them out and I'm doing well, I kind of leave feeling a little bit of confidence in the flesh. I'm doing pretty good. He named a bunch of sins. I'm pretty good. Or we leave here going, oh my gosh, I've got to try harder this week. I've got to get rid of that sin in my life. I've got to be circumcised. And I think it distracts us from the message of leave here saying, I have got to know Jesus. I have got to gain Jesus. I have got to be found in his suffering. I have got to die as he did. And I have got to find the new resurrection life in him. So I'll just say this morning, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Know Him. Gain Him. Die with Him. 
Let Him come in and circumcise your heart and make it pure so that these things flow out of us. This fruit comes. We are found blameless in Him. And you know, I think the more we get to live in this space, these little things start to fade away. And the more we start to live over here, I got all this stuff, we start to fade this one over here. Oh, Jesus? Oh, right, yeah. Well, let me do these things first. Then I'll get to Jesus. No, get to Jesus now. Gain Him. Die with Him. Find new life and purity of the heart with Him. I just came across this quote this morning, so I added it real quick. It says, Jesus does not define holiness as separation from evil as much as absorption and transformation of it, wherein I, Jesus, pay the price instead of always asking others to pay the price. I just love that quote. Absorption and transformation of evil. Man, that gets me excited. Transforming evil into new resurrection life. Not putting the price on others, but putting it on Jesus and rejoicing in a circumcised heart, in a pure heart, and being a people that change the world out of an outflow of a pure heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this message. I thank you that it has inspired me this week. It has, maybe it has recharged my batteries. It's so easy to get distracted, God. It's so easy to start down that list of traditions and rules and laws for myself and for everyone else, and we forget this is about knowing you, gaining you, going out today and saying, I want nothing more than to gain more Jesus in my life. And sometimes that means suffering with Him. Sometimes that means dying to myself. It does mean that. So that we can be resurrected and find new life in you. New life which is beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring. And from which fruit flows. Lord, we thank you that you have purified our hearts. We thank you that we have purity in you. And that we have no reason to have confidence in the flesh. Help us to get that. Help us to understand it. And help us to understand how we can make knowing you, gaining you, the most important priority in our life. We love you and it's in the name of Jesus who died and rose again that we pray. Amen.